Hey there, welcome to this episode of Tennessee Farm to Family. Let our team of extension agents bring the farm to your family. We'll explore all things agriculture and talk about how it gets to your table, fridge, or pantry. Meet farmers, stomp out misinformation, and grab a sneak peek into agri-search and outreach efforts. All right, well, it's good to be back with y'all. Thanks for joining us. Uh, on this episode, we're going to kind of go through some things. We've all had a holiday break and it's a new year. So we've all seen some things that kind of triggered us a little bit as far as telling ag side of the story and connecting you to the farm and where your food comes from. So I know one of the first ones that I saw, it's been a few weeks ago, but uh, I guess social media's main man or one of them uh, put out a picture and it's of him enjoying a nice big steak and Turns out Mark Zuckerberg is farming now. So that was kind of news to me. But um, I guess everybody in agriculture kind of has some sort of opinion about it or feels some sort of way about it. So uh, we were just going to chime in. And I've read some agriculture advocates and kind of what they think about it. But what what do y'all think? Is 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 the Zuckerberg good for ag or what do you, what do you think? I'll let you start off. It can go either way, in my opinion, uh, if he... Uses research-based information and, and and kind of forms his own opinions. I think it's great. That's you know what you should do, um, but it can also go the bad way if we if he doesn't do the research and then starts pushing that out to his very very large audience. He can sway people's opinion really fast on maybe something that's not research-based. So it's kind of up to him, really. I mean, I'm glad for him if he pushes the right kind of information. I'm happy to have him anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he knows who his extension agent is. And I mean, maybe. It's, I hope he does. I really yeah, do. I'm big of an island. I mean, I'd, you know, I'd love I'm to know. Yeah. I'll put in a transfer. So. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you know, and I'm, I'm like the other guys, you know, it, as long as it's put in a positive way for agriculture, I mean, it, it can't hurt a thing. But, you know, a lot of those, a lot of those things get spun, spun the wrong way. And, uh, you know, I've seen the pictures. I don't know what his post said or anything like that, whether it was positive or negative. But I would think if he's sitting down there with a steak knife, it's bound to be positive. Yeah. yeah. And I, I I would tend to agree with you on that. I mean, Zuckerberg's got a huge platform, and he's able to influence a tremendous amount of people. And I see it overall, I see it more as a positive that he is at least supporting beef. He is advocating for, for growing of beef cattle when we've got a lot of millionaires in the World Economic Forum that thinks that we ought to be shifting more to an insect-based protein. Um, and it's interesting to me just to see different ways that he's feeding out cattle. I watched his uh, his interview and whatnot, and he was talking about feeding his cattle. Uh, of course, he's raising some pretty bougie beef. He's got Wagyu, and he's finishing them out on uh, macadamia nut and all of this stuff. I mean, that's not... That's that's not something that we can do mainstream. But then again, Zuckerberg ain't mainstream either. That's right. <laughs> but but just the just the fact that he is covering beef cattle from a value added perspective and advocating for the consumption of beef when so many in the world want to do away with it, I see that as an overall kind of positive outlook. But he's Personally. doing the same thing that our guys have done for the last several years. He's mm-hmm. taken a product that was probably no with no value or no usage mm-hmm. and turned it into a feedstuff. I mean, how many exactly how many byproducts do we put in our feedstuffs now? Mm-hmm. You know, there's um and when we we can see it right here in West Tennessee in animal feeds and, and it's it's byproduct from food manufacturing that was going in the dump. Mm-hmm. And and now we're feeding animals with 
you know, all kind of feed byproducts. So I think it's just the same. He's doing the same thing that rest of our farmers done just on a smaller scale. Yeah, we hear a lot about recycling. He's upcycling, essentially. That's right. And that's something that we need to be able to utilize more of in order to be most efficient stewards of the environment. Well, I'll play, I'll play devil's advocate on this one. I'll just say it could be bad for ag because, you know, he could put a message out, and it's a message that we all agree with, right? He's doing it the right way, the proper way how you're supposed to do it. Everybody buys in. Now we're bought in. And then at some point he takes a pivot. Now we're like, hang on now. You know, we, we see this pivot, but he's already collected the masses that fall on right there. You know, because at first we all agreed with everybody in the masses. Now he's got all this following. He could pivot and change it in the direction he wants. That's a very good point. So I think it could be a slippery slope, and it also depends on the personality pushing it. Yeah. Somebody like Zuckerberg, I don't know about you guys, but I see him in a courtroom a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's very true. You know, <laughs> you know, and it's he has such a large following, and people might see that how he's doing it and think every farmer needs to do it that way. And that's not uh, feasible. So no. he, it can be good and bad, like I said. Yeah, well, this could, this this would work too to segue into our, our next topic for, for another day. But yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I tend to think that anytime like less than two percent of the population is involved in getting food to your table that someone like him with that sort of platform that you all have can be good. And so I hope he does take, I mean, he's very smart. He's figured out how, you know, we want to communicate and helps us communicate. So maybe he'll figure out, you know, how to put fat on beef and grow, you know, tasty steaks. So, uh, and I would be interested to know kind of what research went behind all that, the choosing course he did choose like the kind of the top of the pyramid, as far as quality goes, um, but, yeah, I get all that you're saying. Like, I hope everybody don't go to their, you know, grocery store in West Tennessee and look for a macadamia-finished Wagyu. <laughs> yeah, you ain't going to find it. We're good to find a USDA choice steak in West Tennessee. Yeah, so, um, yeah. we, we don't all have uh, neat pockets like the Zug does. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think it goes back to... And I've read, I think, somewhere he did this. He wanted to teach his kids responsibility and that kind of thing. So we can all, we were all like farm kids. We know that. So we know what kind of animal care you learn, empathy and, you know, things like that. So a lot of life skills go along with being a farm kid, too. So I do applaud him, applaud him for that, too. So anyway, you might not have tuned in to want to hear where we stand on Zuckerberg getting into farming. But now, now, you know, so, yeah, I don't think it's going to be all bad, but. Yeah, I get it could, like you said, he could build that audience and then have one kind of mishap or something happen and go the wrong way and, and spin spin the story a different way. So anyway, all right, moving on. What y'all got? What have you seen that's triggered you a little bit on the Internet? I'm going to let somebody else go first. I'm well, yeah, there's, of course, I'm not going to call any company names. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but there's. Yeah, I get on Facebook a fair bit, and there's been some ads popping up talking about uh, factory farmed beef, you know, complaining about uh, the way that we raise beef. It's got a picture of some beef calves at a feed bunk, conventional uh, farming practice, and it's kind of bashing that and aiming folks towards uh, grass-fed beef being better for the environment and healthier and so on and so forth. And it, I've read some of the comments on there. I've not posted anything, and it's it's certainly interesting to see folks on both sides of the issue. But uh, it, it does gripe me that we sometimes wind up infighting within the same industry, producing essentially the same product, and then trying to cut each other's throats to to get a different message across to the consumer. So that's something that's uh, 
I guess triggered me over the Christmas break anyway. Well, there's room for everybody at the table, just like yes. talking about. Mm-hmm. He, you know, Zuckerberg's done Wagyu, macadamia nut finish. So there's, there's probably a market for that in his circle. Probably not in mine, but in his circle. <laughs> you know, there's a market. Some people want grass-fed, some people want grain-fed. Yeah. As long as you're eating beef, I think that's great. I, I think and we've got Wagyu right here in West Tennessee. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I don't think it's on macadamia nuts, but but we do have those cattle here in, in Tennessee. Another thing, you know, when we start talking about this grass grain finished, you know, uh, I, I visit with folks in, in corn is a grass, you know, and that's a, you know, it's an energy, it's an energy feed, you know, it's just like our own diet, you know, and, uh, you know, we can't survive on salad. I think, you know, vegans might disagree with me, uh, <laughs> but but we need those energy and protein sources, which we get from, and all corn is, is a grass that was selected over the years for a, a bigger, better, higher quality seed mm-hmm. is what it was grain. And and now we've turned out and we figured out, hey, that's a great feed for, for cattle and hogs and chickens and all, all you know, tacos, you name it. You know? So, uh, so I think, you know, for that grass fed thing and, and, you know, there's a lot of animals that are finished with a grain supplement that are still in the pasture, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and, but they're finished with a, a grain supplement. And a lot of that is from efficiency standpoint. You know, because those cattle are, are put on that high energy diet. Because if I grain or grass feed them, it's going to take me two years mm-hmm. to get to a finished state that we can cut a steak out that somebody's going to be interested in. If I can do that with grain, I can shorten that by by half at least, if not more. But that's just getting to, from point A to point B faster and more efficient. And it's not causing any harm to that animal. No. That animal's just as happy as can be. He's getting a great, you know, so that's sometimes people maybe look too far into that and they're thinking. Yeah. Well, I mean, like kind of what you're saying, a lot of people get lost in translation, especially the further we are removed from the farms. What they do see on the Facebook or well, I guess it was Food Inc. that came out in 2009. They see the clip of the yard. They see them just eating grain. So there's a lot of people out there that are like, well, with the factory farm, the cow's just there and it eats grain start to finish all day long. They don't realize that it was raised in the pasture. Right. And then it eventually gets finished that way. I mean, that's just, that's a lot of thinking out there. And that grain and that total ration that they're eating, it's got fiber in it. If you look at that ration, there are stacks of alfalfa hay Mm -hmm. that they mix in that ration. Corn is a big part of it for the energy, but corn doesn't have but about 8% protein. So we've got to find an alfalfa or something else, some other additive to make that feed you know, to where it's got enough protein in. Right. And that's, I think that that's something that the consumer oftentimes overlooks is, and it's something that would be easy to overlook if, if you're not intimately familiar with the cattle industry is that we're a highly segmented industry. I mean, we've got, I think about six different segments from seed stock producers to your cow calf producers, which is what most of our producers here in West Tennessee are producing crossbred calves on pasture. And then they send those on to, to, you know, um, uh, stockers that are raising those calves on grass until they reach a certain weight and then they move on. So we've got lots of segments that feed into what eventually winds up being the packing houses and then coming to your store. And so essentially all of them start out grass fed. And then the the finishing part is where it comes down to either grass finished or grain finished. And then, you know, as you've already mentioned, grain finished just gives us a far more efficient cost-effective methodology for getting those cattle to a final weight to be able to feed the end consumer. 
And grass finished is fantastic if that's what you're looking at doing and if you don't mind spending the extra money to purchase that meat. But you do have to spend extra because it takes so long to get them to that final finished weight. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the day, if we look at at some of our research articles, there's really not a nickel's worth of difference between the overall nutritional value between a grass-finished animal versus a grain-finished animal. It's, It's simply a matter of economics and personal preference. And that's something that... You know, I, I think it's a big portion of what this podcast is about is helping folks to understand the way that we produce food in America. Our American agriculture is incredibly safe. It's incredibly efficient, but we've got different segments for personal preference and choice. That's right. It doesn't necessarily make one more healthier beneficial over another. Mm-hmm. So I had the opportunity back in the summer. Uh, I moved my oldest son to a big city uh, and we took him out. We were going to treat him to a nice steak before we left, uh, left him up there. And so we found a restaurant. I, I'm not going to call the name, but anyway, I had the opportunity. They had, uh, it was a, I guess an entree that had like a six ounce of, or maybe it was a three ounce serving of like Wagyu grain finished choice and grass finish choice and I thought well here I can do like a taste test can't believe I'm about to spend sixty dollars on some grass fed but here we go um you only live once right and I I did not like the grass fed and I don't know if I've just been conditioned to like and I didn't really care for the wagyu I like the you know the what I know yeah Yeah. and so I thought well I wish I'd had a full steak of this instead of the other two two things of this but anyway I think it's you know, I applaud the restaurants for like giving customers their preference and just trying right. it out before you make up your mind to, yeah. you know, buy what you like or don't like. Well, I think before yeah. a consumer needs to make up their mind, go talk to a farmer because yeah. I promise you, go talk to multiple farmers. And and I'm not. This is nothing bad against a consumer. I'm the farmers know more about that diet than you do because they're making their money. They're making a living off of it. Yeah. They know how to cost effectively. You know, get that animal to your table and how to do it humanely. Yeah. So go talk to them. Go right. talk to them. And, and another thing, because I'm, I'm like you, I've always preferred grain finish because I've always had it in my head that that marble, that intramuscular fat is going to work better. But then somehow I end up in Argentina and then the fat deposits are the same. And I find out it's grass fed. And I was like, well, I thought the best steak I had was in Texas. Yeah. Well, it happened to be in Argentina. And I was like, is this grain finished? And they were like, no. So, I mean, it just depends on where you get it, I guess. Yeah. Too. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, first world problems, man. We gotta first figure world out, problems. We got to figure out our own preferences on what we want to eat, man. man. They ain't lying. But you know, it gets back to the, you know, the, you know, all this greenhouse gases and all this stuff, and and how efficient our farmers are. You know, I got a text this early this morning from a marketing consultant. You know that we're, our cattle herd is the lowest numbers of cattle in the United States in seventy five years. Yeah, but we have the biggest beef supply that we've ever had so we've got the left least amount of animals and the biggest beef you know and that's only done through guys doing a good job on the farms and and finding out ways whether we're feeding you know you know extra commodities that may have not had any value in the beginning or or genetics with our guys you know have, have made those animals you know go from point a to b and a better job the fertility of the females whatever it may be, but we've gotten so much more financially efficient than we were 30, 40, 50 years ago. Well, financially efficient and environmentally efficient. I mean, we're farming on a very small percentage of the overall arable land here in the United States. And that, that arable land is shrinking as we see, you know, domestic and industrial expansion. And yet we're still 
you know, top producers super in the world, productive, yeah. super productive uh, on on uh, on our agricultural commodities. So efficiency is the name of the game, and it will continue to be so as we go into the future, as we wind up with less land, less resources, and and having to be uh, continuing to feed the world. So it's 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 an exciting challenge to me. I can geek out on that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna pull up my little other trigger thing. And I even commented, know if you're my friend on Facebook, you might trigger me and you might become a topic of a podcast episode. <laughs> there you go. But anyway, if you can't tell what that is, and we'll try to get a better image in here. But it's some uh, ground beef like bought locally and then what you might see in a, you know, a chain grocery store. And so, you know, we encourage we have some people that sell, you know, beef locally and I, I buy local beef, but I also am not scared to buy it, you know, in the plastic bag or in the plastic yeah. carton at, at a big chain grocery store either. And so, um, yeah, it looks it looks different. And, you know, there's an extrusion process. There is some, you know, additives we talked about added to one to keep shelf life longer, uh, that sort of thing. So just, you know, educate yourself if that bothers you. Um, and so my comment to my friend was, you know, I, buy local if that's your if that's what you want to do. But there are plenty of farmers that sell cattle that you know that in their beef ends up in a grocery store and it looks like this. Exactly. So it's not, you know, nutritionally different. It's just the processing and how they got there is different, but totally safe. Do y'all have anything to chime in on that? I mean, when they go to the, you know, vegetable and fruit section in the middle of the winter and they're getting all this stuff, it's not and all that different than what you're talking about right there. Some, some of this stuff has to be shipped in. It's preserved a certain way. It's grown in a greenhouse instead of naturally. There's, you know, I don't, I don't want to get too deep into it, but that happens in other sectors, I mean, yeah. in other figures. So. Yeah, and that's sure. right. And I, and I don't know the exact process, and I'm sure there's some differences, but I think they're just driving the oxygen out of those packages. Mm-hmm. So it's an oxygen-free kind of environment, and, it'll, and that meat will preserve a little longer. But most of our beef is processed in the Midwest. You know, I don't know what the percentage, but probably 80% of it is processed in the Midwest. Well, then it's got to be processed there. It's got to be, you know, Put on trucks. It's got to make it to the grocery store. It's got to, you know, be there a day or two. So it, you know, they've they've just come up with ways to kind of keep that preserved till it get to your dinner table. Yeah. If you leave a package of beef, and I know when I get my freezer beef out and I'm thawing it, like it's going to leak all in my refrigerator. And the oxidation process, I understand. So naturally, the hemoglobin is going to be exposed to oxygen, go from red to brown. So you're going to have brown juice really in your refrigerator, and that grosses some people out. It kind of grosses me out. Uh, but, you know, so that's what big, they don't want that happening in the grocery stores because it'll gross you yeah, out and you won't yeah, want to buy it. Right, so yeah. anyway, they have figured out, like Brian said, what they can, how they can treat it, uh, condition it, if you will, but not add not add stuff that we're not breathing through our nostrils uh, to keep that oxidation from happening. So that might, you know, be the difference that you see there, but yeah. I, I wouldn't be scared and, of either either one. Yeah, and, and folks talk about supporting local farmers and local beef producers. Uh, I sell half my calf crop direct to consumers. Half my calf crop goes into the, the, the system, essentially. And those that go direct to consumers wind up in someone's freezers, and those that go on to a stocker goes on to a feedlot, goes on to the packing uh, plant, it still winds up in someone's refrigerator. So whether you're buying it from the store or buying it direct from a farmer, you're still supporting local farmers because, right. you know, all of our calves go into that system, and then some of that money trickles back to us. 
Now, granted, I, I get a larger percentage of share from those that are bought direct from me versus those that are bought at the store. But it's still those that beef in the store is still supporting local beef cattle producers here stateside. Well, I'll just say as a consumer and a producer, you know, I'm going to eat my own cow. When I don't have that much money, I'm going to go to Piggly Wiggly. When I have a little bit of extra money, I'm going to support the guy next to me. Head to tail, I'll eat it all. And I'll just, yeah. I'll just say that as a, as a consumer. <laughs> That's like me. Whenever when we go through a lot of beef, <laughs> whenever, whenever I start running low in the freezer, I'm going to Walmart picking up more chuck roasts and stuff like that. It doesn't phase me one bit whether I'm getting it out of the pasture essentially or whether I'm getting it out of the, the you know meat section at Wally World. Either way, it's still American raised beef and it's still pretty doggone good when it's on the table. Well, and like most of us sitting here, we're probably all beef producers, but. Not many of us are pork producers, mm. but I Very still good. like a good pork chop. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And exactly. so, yeah, all my pork chops come from the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I'll just say, when I throw out the steaks that I've gotten from my freezer beef and I'm the one having to trim them down and get them to look like something you want to put on your plate, like, <laughs> I'm like, well, why didn't I just buy some at Kroger? This would have been, you know, yeah. faster, whatever. But yeah. <laughs> um, Anyway, I think it all goes back to personal preference, what you're willing to spend your food dollar on and how much of that a farmer gets. So, yeah, then I guess I don't know how I guess we could end by saying, you know, there's room for everybody at the table and for proverbial, you know, thing, too. But, yeah, yeah, right. good stuff, guys. Hey, we appreciate you joining us today. And thanks for listening. Tune in next time. We'll have some more discussion.